This is World to Win, bringing you the latest news and analysis from a socialist perspective. Hi, everyone, and welcome to World to Win. We're really happy to have the first episode of 2020 about something that basically everyone's talking about right now, which is the new Netflix film, Don't Look Up. And I think everyone's seen it recently. I've seen it like on my personal Facebook, so many people talking about it. Uh, and it seems like everyone has a different opinion about it. So I'm very excited to kind of have this episode and maybe try to discuss it from a Marxist perspective and see uh, what we think about. And I, I'll tell you a little secret. I already know that we have some disagreements here. So I think it will be really interesting. So first of all, I want to say hello to my co-host, Toya. How are you doing? Yara, I'm great. And I want to remind everyone that there are totally going to be spoilers in this episode. So if you haven't seen it, watch it first and then come back and see what we think or let us just ruin it for you. Um, but yeah, going to be spoilers. But Yara, I've been great. Uh, we just had Christmas and New Year's. So that was fun. I got to see some family. Um, so yeah, I had a, I had a good uh, holiday break. That's great. I mean, I definitely needed that break and I feel like now I'm ready for action again if COVID will allow us to do that. <laughs> but I think that, for, I'm sure that, like, like Toya said, we are going to have spoilers. So I'm sure that everyone here has already watched it and you already know everything that everyone's been saying about it, how the cast was, you know, basically every A-list of the matters today. Uh, uh, but it also showed a really interesting kind of perspective on disaster films. Um, and it was kind of like a disaster parody that uh, a lot of people said was brilliant, even compared it to Dr. Strangelove. And a lot of people were saying that it was disastrous just as much as the disaster that was shown on the film. Um, and I think that what we can say for sure, though, is that a lot of people watched it. I think the uh, in the in the first five days after it came out, it was streamed for a hundred and eleven million hours. So that's about fifty million streams. And now where we stand, it's uh, the third most viewed Netflix Netflix film ever. So we are not talking about it just because we like films, although we do, uh, but because a lot of people are watching it, and it's really interesting to think about it in the context of this period that we live in today that, you know, we do have natural disasters happening all the time. So uh, it's really interesting. So for the discussion today, we have two really exciting guests, both of whom have, have already been on World to Win before, so you will recognize them. First, we have Tuval from the Israel-Palestine section of the International Socialist Alternative. And Tuval's also uh, doing a PhD um, in history of climate uh, of climate science, so I'm really curious to hear what Tuval's got to say. But before we get there, how are you doing, Tuval? What have you been up to in the last couple of weeks? Been great. Here we don't have uh, Christmas holidays, but um, I've been, uh, and also we have this uh, surge of uh, Omicron cases. So um, yeah, it's been uh, maybe a bit complicated. But uh, I've been uh, watching uh, with suspense the events unfolding in Kazakhstan. And uh, yeah, I'm uh, very uh, hopeful that, uh, <laughs> um, that the protesters uh, succeed there. So we'll uh, keep an eye out. 
Yeah, I can really relate here. The Omicron cases are insane as well. And it's been kind of scary to leave the house, but it's good that we have something that we can look up to, like the, the events in Kazakhstan. Um, so our next speaker is Manus from the Irish section of the International Socialist Alternative. And actually, Manus, you wrote a really brilliant review of the film as well. So I'm really interested to hear what you say uh, about it. But how are you doing? How have you been this uh, kind of Christmas break? Well, uh, thanks, Yara, and thanks, Toya. Um, I'm d delighted to uh, be back again uh, here. Uh, over the Christmas now, um, everyone I was supposed to meet socially ended up catching COVID. So it was even quieter than usual. And uh, schools are returning tomorrow here in Ireland and there's been absolutely no preparations made. Um, so everyone's a bit on the edge of their seats where, you know, th the cases, just like you were saying, are through the roof and, and they're probably going to go uh, even worse in the next number of days. Um, yeah, anyway, I'm happy to be... Uh, back on the show. So thanks very much. Welcome back, Manus. And I can't wait to talk to you about this, this review. People should check it out. It'll be, we'll put it in the link um, so that people can, can read what Manus had to say, but also of course you can listen to it here. Yeah, I, I, I think this review is brilliant. And I, I, I'm actually really curious to hear what Manus has to say, because I agreed with a lot of it, didn't agree with a lot of it. So I'm uh, really curious to hear about it. Yeah, I'm so excited to have this discussion. But for those who haven't seen the movie yet, um, it's about our current world that we live in today. And a student uh, discovers a, a comet that's headed straight for Earth. And she and a group of scientists um, go to tell the president of the United States about this comet and they don't take it seriously, which, hmm, I wonder what we can relate that to in today's world. Um, and it's, you know, they have six months and 14 days um, until the comet hits Earth. And so, you know, the movie goes through these six months of, um, you know, the ups and downs of what they're going to do about the comet. Um, super, super good movie. But yeah, I, I want to get into what, what, what everyone thinks about it. Yeah, I think, you know, the thing that struck me the most about it is that I feel like I, I actually really like dystopias and disaster films. And uh, I feel like it's very unique in a sense, even within this genre. Like usually we see, you know, this natural disaster, in this case, a comet heading straight for us. Uh, and that is the, the scary thing. This is a catastrophe. But here it's kind of different. The real catastrophe isn't the comet. It's the way that humanity is handling this comet. And I think that there's a lot of opinions about who this film is blaming. But I think generally all of them, no, no one's like, you know, looking at the comet as the big bad guy. It's a lot of people uh, in there, which I think is a really interesting take. Like instead of, instead of seeing the traditional kind of nature versus humanity that we see in a lot of these disaster films, we suddenly, we suddenly see kind of like the system versus humanity, which I think is really interesting. And what's even more interesting, I think, is that this film tells you directly, we have the technology to deal with this crisis. We have this technology to completely prevent the apocalypse, but it's not done. Uh, it's not prevented, even though we have uh, the ability to do it. So I was wondering what everyone thought, like, do you think that this is an accurate description of our reality today? Or is it kind of like, you know, an exaggeration that the film is making? If I can come in there, um, 
I think if you look at a film like The Martian, which is relatively recent, the challenge is in that movie, Matt Damon is stranded on Mars and we've got to keep him alive and rescue him. The challenges are logistical, they're technical. Um, and there's something refreshing even about that movie because that's the way the world could and should be, uh, that humanity should be united. But it really, really isn't. It's, that's a complete fantasy. It's more fantastical than anything in Middle Earth or whatever because we live in a unequal, divided, dysfunctional world where the richest 1% have twice as much wealth as 6.9 billion people. And I think the key insight of Don't Look Up is that the, the real challenge is uh, with our ruling class. Um, I mean, at the start of the pandemic, the state broadcaster here in Ireland put on Independence Day as like, you know, symbolic of people fighting back against the virus because that's a film about humans fighting back against aliens. And is that the, the Will message, Smith one? Yeah, he steals an alien flying saucer and, uh, yeah, blows up the ship at the end. And, uh, you know, it's a triumphant moment for all of humanity and we're all united and, you know, oh, with the Americans in the lead, of course. And, like, um, yeah, the challenge is basically military. um, But here's what it would actually be like, you know. Uh, Don't Look Up is, I think, like a response to a lot of those movies. And even though it's a parody and a comedy, it's more realistic than, than any of those. Well, that's one thing that I thought weird. And I'm not going to lie. I don't normally watch movies that are like about the world ending because that scares me. And I don't want to like entertain myself with like something so scary. Um, but it is a comedy. And I like I felt watching it, especially Jonah Hill's character, like he was the one uh, who was the uh, chief of staff, the son of the president. Like at first his like comedy it was like that comedic relief where it was like super heavy but then he was saying these outrageous things but then it just got ridiculous like it was almost like over the top but then I would step back and think wait a minute no we have had presidents in the United States who have said crazier things than that so it was like it was a a a weird kind of um I don't know roller coaster I went through with like laughing at it as being so outrageously ridiculous but then also being like no uh that's kind of the way things are today but like i mean yara said in the beginning there were you know a top actors in this movie jennifer lawrence like she's amazing i love her but you know they 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 come together and they make such a a a heavy movie about something so real to us you know especially now coming out of the pandemic Tuval, I'm curious, like, what do you think is the reasoning behind that? Why are, um, you know, why is Hollywood and filmmakers making movies like this that are, are, are so heavy? Is this, you know, is this the direction that we see movies going, uh, uh, going forward? Or is it, you know, a quick buck off the pandemic? Like, why do you think they make movies like this? Um, I'm not sure that uh, it's very different, you know, uh, Yara said earlier that uh, it's been compared to Dr. Strangelove. I mean, I don't think that it's new for films to portray um, this sort of, you know, apocalyptic doomsday scenario. But I do think that it's unique. I agree with Manus, and I do think it's unique in uh, where it's pointing the finger. And I think that... um, the the mass movement, especially the climate movement, 
they've changed consciousness in such a way that even Hollywood can't ignore it. Usually what would happen in this sort of dystopian film, it would either be about, you know, the uh, stu- stupidity or, or the bureau- bureaucratical kind of uh, useless nature of politicians, or it would be about an individual saving uh, uh, or trying to save the planet. And here it, it's not an individualistic film at all. And what you see is the effect of the mass movements that we've seen forcing politicians, forcing the decision makers and the media to talk about these issues. And uh, I mean, I think that in this, it's, uh, it's unique. And I think that uh, in this, it shows how the, the, the level, again, of the, of the mass movement uh, and the co- consciousness that it's raised, I think that it shows uh, how it's affected even those liberals sitting in Hollywood and uh, making these films. So I think that's really true. And I also really like kind of like we, we all think each one of us has mentioned kind of like other films from that genre, because the, the, I agree with Tuval. It's like it's a genre that's been like it's been like like around forever and actually when i watched don't look up i on the, on the same day watched contagion which i think a lot of people kind of rewatched at the start of the pandemic because it does talk about kind of like a, a virus quite similar in its nature to uh, he wants to get depressed i mean yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i think i think Tuval and i were both speaking about uh, together after that about kind of how this a film that would make you a germaphobe no matter what um but i i think it's really interesting i found it really interesting because this contagion came out only 10 years ago only 10 years before don't look up and the the mirror that it's putting to society is completely different like we're seeing politicians who are being like super altruistic and this politician is getting a vaccine uh, or it's one of the first people who are getting the vaccine and instead of giving it to himself he's giving it to a child or the child of the janitor at the like compound that he's working in and it's kind of like really about heroes and i think that this film like don't look up is definitely not about heroes it's about the failures of the system which again for a disaster film it should be about a comet or it should be like like Duval said about bureaucracy or it should be about the unity of people like uh, other films but instead it's about the failures of the system which I completely agree come down to the the fact that we all know that the system is failing, we are living through a pandemic, we are living through a climate crisis. And these movements have gained us this kind of consciousness that we didn't have even 10 years ago. Uh, so I found that really impressive. But the same, and, and, and you know, that, that does, this film does show kind of like a cynical view of the apocalypse rather than a heroic one, like we talked about, like I said before. Um, but I think it's also, interesting that we're seeing kind of like the government move and change its positions about about this kind of catastrophe at first they don't even believe that it's a catastrophe and then when they realize that it might help them get re-elected then suddenly it's really important and we all need to uh you know get behind the government and help and get behind the hero and help us solve things but then this approach also quickly changes uh, when they found out that the comet has a lot of precious resources on it and they can make profit out of this comet. 
Uh, and so I was wondering uh, if you guys were thinking, like, what were you thinking about this uh, when you watched it? Like, do you think that the profit motive is really as significant in real life? Or because, again, this film is cynical. It is, you know, ex exaggerating a lot of situations. So is this an exaggeration or is it something that's actually quite true? I think in terms of an exaggeration, I mean, we all know what a disaster it would be if the North Pole was to melt, you know, and it's going to be ice free in summer in a number of decades, uh, current trends. But what corporations and governments are doing is they're planning their shipping routes through the North Pole and they're planning to drill for oil in the you know areas that are going to be revealed by the melting ice. And to be completely honest, that's as bad as anything in Don't Look Up. Um, the, I think in the specific scenario of the film, it's plausible that the capitalist class would do that, um, you know, try to hijack the meteor and bring it down to earth and mine it. Um, and I think they go out of their way to make it a bit extra plausible by the lines about the need for rare metals because of the growing US-China tensions, etc. But I think the real plausibility isn't in the details. It's in what it feels like to watch this film, the intense frustration. Um, Personally, I like films about the end of the world. Uh, I enjoy watching them because I find them deeply cathartic, um, you know, for some weird reason. Uh, but like, we've all been living in this like crazy political uh, situation um, and we're staring down the barrel of just horrible disasters. And I think, you know, tens of millions of people have watched this film because I mean, it's not actually that laugh out loud funny there are some good laughs in it, but not that many. I think what it really does is it captures that feeling of what it's been like to live through the last number of years. Um, so, yeah, I think that's it. That In that sense, it's not an exaggeration. It really does feel like this. It really does feel this crazy, this frustrating, you know? The cynical part in me wants to say, like, did they make it satire or comedy to make it seem like, oh, this isn't how the world would handle a disaster. Like this would be funny if it happened, but it wouldn't. But there were so many examples in the movie where I'm like, yup, that's how it is, that's how it is. And the one that stuck out to me the most was when, um, I forget her name in the movie, but Jennifer Lawrence, um, her when she went to visit her parents and they were like, stop at the door. We don't want politics in here. And like, that's how it felt all the time when Trump was elected. Um, or when Trump was president, and it still is today. But like, they were saying that we're for the jobs, you know, like, it's okay if this comet comes, because we can mine it, and we're for the jobs. And in the environmental movement, they're constantly pitting environmentalists, or anyone who cares about life, against jobs, against work. And like, I'll, you know, I'll mine oil, I'll mine oil, because that's what's gonna pay my bills. I'll, you know, mine coal. I'll do all of these things because that's what's going to pay my bills. So to me, that was that was uh, so similar. And then another similarity was kind of more away from the environmental stuff and more into the pandemic, this polarization of if you believe it or not. Um, you know, at the end, they had all like the conservatives chanting, uh, don't look up the name of the the name of the uh, movie. Um, and so I like to me, that was just so real in today's world of just like um, um, this sharp polarization of like, is it a conspiracy, um, you know, versus uh, 
actually know this is what the scientists are saying, etc. But one thing that I was curious about, if that's how it would play out, was the fact that they made it seem like the U.S. was the only country that could stop it. Like there was no other option for these other countries. At the end, you know, China and Russia joined together and then they failed, of course, because propaganda. We got a, you know, U.S. U.S. military and NASA is the best. But like in our world, if a comet were coming to Earth, would the countries work together to stop it or would it just be on the shoulders of the U.S.? I don't know if I was convinced on that similarity. Yeah, I actually found that part really interesting because a lot of people in my like social media feeds were actually arguing about this. So me and my partner, when we watched it, we thought it was really heavily implied that the US actually was the one to blow up the facility in Russia. Um, and like we thought it was kind of like a criticism of the US interfering with other countries uh, when they go against US policy. Um, which I think a lot of people didn't get in that way and thought it was just like- I totally didn't get it in that way, Yara, but it does make sense if that's where it was going and it makes me like it more if that's the case. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think it's really interesting because it's kind of like the way that you perceive that because, and, and I actually talked about this with my partner after when I read all of these arguments online, that this film is very- on the nose like you know it doesn't really leave much room for interpretation for a lot of things but there are certain things that it does leave room for interpretation and it's actually the ones that would make the points much stronger if there were more on the nose like this facility being either blown up by the us or not uh but at the same time i think that it does ask us kind of different like certain questions uh to do with today as well because we do know that the US does interfere with other governments and we know that it interferes with any kind of organization, whether it's a governmental or not, uh, that goes against the, whether it's the values in uh, inverted commas of the US government or uh, what they really are, the kind of profit and capitalist interests of them. Um, but do we think that like in this film and generally in reality, do we think that kind of like should we have faith in these governments should we have faith not just in the u.s government but should we have faith in like the russian and chinese governments to save us like if let's assume that the u.s doesn't interfere and doesn't involve itself would these governments actually be able to stop something like climate change like a comet like a pandemic i think um none of us are really approaching don't look up as if it's like a ken loach film like really serious and political uh, it's goofy and it's a dark satire and you know I want to we can talk about it and make political points without necessarily submitting it to the kind of rigorous interrogation and and like having said that the bottom line as far as Russia and China are concerned is like neither government neither ruling class in those countries have covered themselves with glory as regards either the pandemic or the climate and there's little reason to suspect that they do any better with a comet um, I think, yeah, what happens is plausible in the context of the film, either the US blows it up or it explodes on the launch pad due to technical failures or whatever, like the Mercury rockets or whatever. But like, yeah, I wish that was more explicit. Definitely. I think that was sort of shying away a bit because um, it's totally plausible that the US would do an armed intervention and just destroy it. But I guess like, yeah, if we're, I agree with Manis, where we, you know, it 
it's a movie, it's, it's satire, um, you know, but there are like politics underneath it. Um, you know, we can draw tons of comparisons. Um, but also like, I think too, it's important to point out what's not in the film um, and what, what, how it would have changed our minds or our, our view of it or our opinion of it if it were. And one thing particularly is the idea that like, this woman is president, whether she's supposed to be a Trump or a Hillary, you know, I think it's more she's supposed to be a Trump. Um, and she talks about like, uh, she prayed for her party and stuff. But like, there is no opposition party. And in the US, you know, we are a two party system. And we know the Democrats and the Republicans are both on the side of big business. They're both parties of Wall Street. Um, but when it comes to things like the pandemic, um, and climate change, they give different lip service uh, to to the topic. But we didn't see that in the film. We didn't see a an AOC or a Bernie Sanders, you know, um, coming out against what the uh, what the president was or was not doing. Um, but we did see, uh, you know, the the Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and like how on the nose, as Yara said, was it that he went to space? Not just what, six months ago, Jeff Bezos went to space and his little like, you know, uh, not little. I shouldn't make light of it. It cost the American taxpayer millions of dollars. Um, but, you know, he just went to space and it's like, um, uh, yeah, I'm curious what people think about that guy. Like the the. He, the, his character was kind of getting into a little bit of what I hear a lot from people about conspiracies about like our phones, where he's like, your phone knows your mood. I thought that they were going to develop that a little bit more, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I'm curious what, what people thought about his character and why he couldn't, like th his teeth were so big, it was like hard to even understand him. I think it just like added to his like creepy aura as a character, but I'm curious what everyone's thoughts were on him. So yeah, I mean about the billionaire. I I, I think it was uh, it was definitely a jab at uh, Jeff Bezos. I think that we saw there also some uh, uh, allusions to Elon Musk. You know, I mean the third uh, richest uh, bill man on the on the planet. I thought it was quite funny. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, comparing him to the, he's like the big bad guy. I think that has also to do with um, both the portrayal of US, the US as like the only country in the world and maybe also the kind of uh, approach to US politics where you have this. Um, so it's all a very, and I think this is very characteristic of Hollywood films where everything is quite simplified and there's this uh, homogenic kind of uh, uh, group of, of billionaires and they all kind of think the same. And here we have this uh, uh, president who uh, controls uh, this party and has no opposition, as you said. And um, I don't know, I think that here is where the liberal approach of the film, uh, I told you earlier, I thought it was like this uh, dystopian liberal fantasy of how things happen. Because I think that the criticism directed towards uh, President Orleans was like supposed to be like Trump. You see it with the hat later on in the film, and you know, so you know that that's uh, that's it. Um, I mean, Trump isn't in office anymore, 
And uh, we still see that uh, Biden isn't doing uh, the, the, the swift changes that are needed to deal with the climate crisis. So yeah, so this uh, president uh, in the film, she hangs out with celebrities and she's much more concerned with getting elected than anything else. And she has- The cool rich. The cool rich, exactly. The rich donors. And uh, you know, I mean, the problem isn't just that the president isn't playing by the rules and uh, and sends uh, nude photos to uh, to famous people, whatever. The I think it's much deeper than that. But the film kind of glosses over it, and um, yeah, I mean, um, yeah, uh, that's the, that that's one of the things that uh, if you talk about like what kind of message the film has, this is one of the things that really bothered me in a way. Yeah, and I think it's also kind of like, I think Toya talked about this a little bit before, about kind of the, the this message of listen to the scientists that was really repetitive in the film, but also I think in real life, especially to do with the pandemic, but also to some extent with climate change, we're seeing a lot of people who are like very dismissive of people who don't believe in these catastro- like catastrophic events that are happening. But I think also the film takes a really interesting it has a, a really interesting take on that uh and i was wondering because I, we actually talked about this uh before this episode duval so i know that I, I think something that you said about it i found really interesting and i was wondering if you can tell everyone what you uh were saying about kind of like science and the the kind of maybe problematic way that this film shows it so yeah i think that presenting the problem as if it's that people don't listen to the scientists and calling the film don't look up is kind of reflective of that. I think that it that that's in a way misinformation. I mean, misinformation is a problem both with climate change uh, and with um, the pandemic. But at least with climate change, the mass movement, it really changed things. I mean, I don't think a lack of awareness is the problem. The problem isn't that people aren't listening to the scientists or, you know, opening their eyes and seeing what's happening with floods and heat waves and whatnot. Uh, I mean, in a 2020 survey that was uh, held in 50 countries, 64% of the 1.2 million people that were uh, surveyed said that climate change is an emergency and you know, I mean, I don't think that that's the issue at all. The fact that the film frames it as such is, again, as I said, I think um, really the part of the kind of liberal fantasy where people are just dumb and care more about celebrities and are apathic to what's going on. And I mean, I think that part of the, this perception of people being stupid, you know, that's part of the issue. And I think if we take... Um, if we take like a historical perspective and we see how science has been historically used to strengthen and justify the status quo, strengthen the oppression uh, towards different uh, groups of people, I think that the distrust that we see that's a real problem with combating, you know, because science does offer um, um, ways to kind of uh, uh, battle the pandemic, battle uh, climate change, But uh, I think that uh, it's uh, something that needs to be acknowledged. And by the way, the scientific community, or at least parts of it, do acknowledge it. And, you know, I mean, indigenous peoples are now uh, recognized for being the best guardians of of forests 
And it's been more, um, I think, accepted that ordinary people's knowledges should be integrated into scientific knowledge. So I think that that's uh, also a point that uh, should be made about, um, about this. And yeah, I mean, I think that scientists are, on the one hand, they're, they're shown as people and people that can make misjudgments. Um, and I think that criticism of the kind of way things are done, how these big names that are recruited for the BASH uh, project uh, kind of convince uh, Mindy, Leonardo DiCaprio's character to, uh, to, uh, to join this uh, dubious uh, uh, project, but uh, later on he realizes that it's not peer-reviewed or something, and then he kind of quits. And I think that uh, that's a, a redemption art that um, maybe should be looked like critically at. I think the uh, yeah, Tavel's points are really interesting. I think there's an element of uh, a COVID scold or climate scold kind of tone um i think it could have deepened the satire of the movie if they'd showed insufferable affluent liberals being comet skulls or like major corporations doing comet washing like greenwashing or like comet trading like carbon trading i don't know i don't know exactly how that would actually work visually on a movie but anyway i feel there's a missed opportunity there um it is interesting that we don't hear what party the president is from uh it is interesting that there's no element of this would have been dealt with better by a previous administration. Um, I think, like, you know, when there's a murder investigation in a movie, they show like two cops doing it, even though in reality it'd be like 20 cops. Likewise, in this, we see like two, three politicians, and they're all terrible. They're all absolutely just the worst scum of humanity. And I think that's a message that actually they're all rotten. Um, and yeah, I think in reality, it is an interesting point. Wouldn't there be a Bernie or AOC or wouldn't there be Shama Sawan, you know, making points and making criticisms in reality? But I do think we see that. I think the uh, last quarter or so of the movie, the main characters all commit themselves to a mass movement. Uh, to the, the look-up movement. Um, but I think the fundamental point that Tuval makes is really important because, like, yeah, the problem isn't that people don't know. The problem isn't that people are in denial. The problem is the ruling class. Um, you know, uh, the COVID denial and, like, climate denial are actually not what's causing all this. Um, but, again, in fairness, looking back to the film, the real problem is the machinations of the ruling class and their attempts to fool other people and to, you know, string them along into denial is like, uh, is, um, you know, secondary to that. Um, there was one other thing I really liked actually, when they do actually take action against it, the comet, when they send the missiles up to blow up the comet, they, uh, it's supposed to be an unmanned mission. You know, there's no need for any humans to be on it. It's completely automated. But they just throw in this like tough guy, military guy in there to say all these like cheesy one-liners. So it's like, 
cheesy one-liners, he was like, I want to thank the Indians, both kinds. Like, I was just like, oh my God, they couldn't pick like the worst. Sorry, but he was crazy, Manus. Um, but like that reflected to me a point around like when they do take action, they do so in the most like schmaltzy, nationalistic, vulgar, annoying way possible. Like, you know, our Taoiseach, our Prime Minister here in Ireland, when he was announcing COVID, he like quoted from, uh, he quoted from movies and every single one of his press conferences. It was just, just insufferable. Um, yeah, I think there's a few missed opportunities for further satire there, for sure. For sure. See, Manus, that's what I'm talking about. Jonah Hill, he wrote the speech for that guy and he quoted a movie in it. So like, it's like Jonah Hill's doing these crazy things and you're like, oh my God, that would never happen. Nope. A prime minister in Ireland also quotes movies in his speeches. It's absolutely insane. Um, do I do want to say because you, you did, Manos, you, you did say something that I thought was really interesting because again, it's one of the criticisms that I see about this film quite a lot is that it doesn't show a way forward. And I think in many ways, what you said is true that at the end of the film, they're kind of uh, working towards a mass movement. But I also think that in that sense, the film is way behind in consciousness because I think, and I can say that, I think um, when we look even at, you know, recent and like a climate uh, actions like COP26, when, when we were there and we were talking to people, there was no one, not even a single person out of the 100,000 people on the street that was there and told us, yeah, I'm here to convince the people who are inside um, to, to kind of make better judgments uh, in the COP. Uh, no, people were there because they were frustrated with the fact that politicians are not doing what they should be. And frustrated, frustrate, frustrated with the fact that the lobbyists are the most, you know, the, the oil lobbyists are the, 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 the largest amount of kind of delegates that any place had in COP. There were people who were out in the streets because they knew that a mass movement is the only thing that can change things. But the mass movement that was out in the streets in uh, Don't Look Up was one that directed its efforts towards other countries' governments, towards Russia and China. And when those failed, then, well, let's pack our bags and, you know, sit down with our family and hold our hands and have a lovely dinner because we can't do anything about it anymore. And I thought there was actually way beyond the consciousness that we actually have about these things. And also, like, how did they build that mass movement? It was through celebrities, like... No, what we need when we when we talk about a mass movement, what we need is we need workers taking action. It's not just simply about awareness. It's about forcing the capitalists and forcing the politicians to do what needs to be done. Um, I mean, maybe it's because I'm in the U.S. and things are so polarized here. Um, but I just feel like on a day to day basis, I do deal with so many climate change deniers and even COVID deniers. And so it's like the, the, the movie really did touch home for me in that way. I like the scene where the, they're at that conservative rally and they start throwing stuff onto the stage. Um, and they're, you know, they're like, don't look up. And then they look up and then they're like, you lied to us. It was just like, I, I could totally see that happening in the U S. Um, but one thing I was curious about is like, we see that in this movie, they have six months to, to um, 
stop the comet from hitting Earth. And in our world, what was it, a few years back when that like first big report came out from, I forget what it's called, the organization that begins with an I and it has acronyms, someone help me out. Um, but they were like, you, what is it? Yes, that one. Thank you to all. They were like, we have 12 years. And so like, we also had this, like, we have this definite amount of time, um, you know, but we don't, I don't know, there's not that sense of urgency. And so if there were something catastrophic coming towards Earth, um, a comet, uh, whatever, a pandemic, and we had less time than 12 years, do we think that, you know, uh, people would take action, that workers would take action? Um, or does time have nothing to do with it? Why aren't we seeing, uh, why don't we see people taking, uh, basically is my question, action, uh, if uh, people are aware of the situation? I mean, if, we, if we're still discussing the film, then I think that the liberal kind of perspective really here, th th this is its true failure because, because I think it doesn't show at all what things are like. I think that now we do have this time frame, but obviously 12 years and there's all this like, uh, uh, how long is it actually going to take? Is it going to take longer or shorter until these uh, tipping points are... Um, um, are past. So, I mean, obviously, obviously here it's much less urgent than in the film, and yet we still see the mass movements, right? And in the film, I mean, I think that, that actually the problem is, I think that the denial there is so strong because with such a time frame, I mean, strategically, they can't really, uh, they can't really say, uh, they can't really um, plant seeds of doubt like they're doing now. But here, I mean, in the real world, not in the film, I feel like the kind of strategy has changed. It's not so much about climate denial, because as I, I said earlier, I do think that consciousness has changed. Obviously, it's different in different places and different um, uh, countries. And, you know, um, but uh, I do think that uh, now it's more like this sense of, well, it's too late, there's nothing to do. And in that, I think that's another real issue that I had with the film, because um, in the film, I mean, there is absolutely no power for, you know, ordinary people, for the working class. And I mean, that's, I guess, why the kind of, it's, 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 it's a very effective film in creating this kind of helpless, uh, choked sort of feeling and uh, yeah, that's the type of feeling that you get when you feel that you're powerless, but the truth is much, much further than that. And I think, you know, in the US we've seen the mass uh, uh, waves of strikes that have been super inspiring. Um, and I think, you know, that uh, even if you look at the reactions to uh, uh, COP26, and uh, as Yara said, what uh, what people did around that, did they just uh, go around asking politicians to consider or do something like that? No, people are organizing and they're uh, striking. And I said earlier that I was, uh, you know, looking at what's happening in Kazakhstan. I mean, what's that if not a prime example of uh, how people organize uh, together and fight back in the power that they do have to topple not just statues, but also governments um, and dictatorships? 
Yeah, and we've talked about Kazakhstan a little bit. Um, I think we need to, you know, uh, have an episode on it soon because it's, um, you know, it's a it's a crazy situation, but also inspiring, like Tuval said, when we see workers taking action. So I'm going to change directions a little bit, Manis, because I want to ask you about the review that you wrote, which was very good. Um, but your last paragraph, now, you know, we know I don't like this genre because it gives me anxiety and, like, I mean, as Tuval was just, you know, what she was just saying about how you feel helpless, like, that's how I felt. I'm just, like, scared and, like, literally, I wanted to fast forward because I was just, like, get, feeling so anxious. Um, but you like this genre. Um, and you, in your in your review, um, you said, uh, I'm just gonna read it you said but it's not cynical about humanity in general the later scenes with their touching and sensitive human moments play tribute to those who take action even when things are bleak compared to celebrated satirical movies like dr strangelove or network don't look up is surprisingly optimistic yes i did not think that this was an optimistic movie the the world literally ends at the end and like the bull of wall street which is hilarious is up in outer space and like twirling around what on earth do you find optimistic about this movie okay so the world end but the president got eaten by aliens that takes the sting out of it for me um the bad characters end up like most of them die on the way to the alien planet and the rest of them are probably going to die as well because they're just useless ruling class people they're not going to be able to survive there without the skills of of a workforce you know even if they're not all eaten by aliens immediately but then for the good characters you know especially for mindy leonardo dicaprio who's kind of been through a journey and become had had a bit of an arc like like duval was saying they, they kind of they kind of sit back and reflect a bit there's a scene where they're in the car um, and Mindy is kind of being overly earnest and awkward. And he's talking about a jazz song that's on the radio and he's reciting the lyrics. Nobody should do that. It's really a, an awkward thing to do, but you can see that this is where Jennifer Lawrence being brilliant comes in. She's torn between rolling her eyes and actually being kind of moved by what he's saying, because the song is about, I think it's about soldiers going to fight fascism in the 1940s. And what I take from that is that they're sort of resigned to death, but they're proud of the struggle that they wage. Um, so that's actually also a callback to Dr. Strangelove, which ends with a 1940s song about going to war and probably never coming back as the world is ending. So, <clears throat> but there's no like touching humanity in the end of Dr. Strangelove. It's, network ends with just kind of, bleak nihilism um whereas in this we see them sitting around a table and being human together and just having little moments and yeah that really just i actually think and maybe it comes back to the weird thing where i like the end of the world or whatever but like yeah let's feel that hopelessness let's confront that let's actually comprehend the reality and the gravity of this so the humanity, the, the, the connection uh, that they, you know, at the table, that's what's optimistic to you. I, I, I actually, yeah, I kind of I like that viewpoint. It's like, yeah, 
we're, we're connecting on another yeah. level. We're reflecting. I do want to point out that the all-knowing um, algorithm of, the, of, of, of Bash Cellular's CEO uh, that knew that President Orleans is going to get eaten by that dinosaur, I, I mean, it, it, it was wrong about Mindy because he didn't die alone. Yes, brilliant. Family and friends. I didn't put that together. Oh my God, I feel so stupid. I literally didn't put that together. I had the together. same reaction when Tuval said that to me the other day. I was like, whoa. <laughs> but it makes so much sense now. You're right, Tuval. Yeah, but you know, like for me, the scene, it, annoys, it annoyed me. I did not feel optimistic about it at all. Like I felt annoyed. It was like, no, you, you obviously now in the last 10 minutes before the comet hits, you can't do anything, but you could do so much that you didn't do. And there's also this line that, that I think Mindy says about how we've, we had everything, didn't we? And it's like, no, I'm sorry, but most people around the globe don't have everything even now before a comet hits. And it really annoyed me. But what I did, what I did think that was good about this scene and kind of set it in context for me, like the entire film, was that to me, this film wasn't like the liberal fantasy that Tuval was saying. It was more kind of like a warning tale of what would happen if we don't organize. And I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like the liberal, like the, the classic uh, liberal Hollywood people, that's what they wanted us to get from that film. But that's what I got. Because, like, And I think that last scene when they're sitting down really kind of gave that feeling to me that it's a warning rather than, you know, everyone kind of taking the piss out of the end of the world. Yeah, we don't want to ever be sitting around that table. We need to organize. Um, we need to be, you know, not sitting there with regrets like, oh, we had it all. We need to be doing what we can with the time we've got. Absolutely. When she said we had it all, I thought she meant we had, I mean, what you're saying makes more sense. But what I was thinking at the time when she said we had it all, like we had the way to stop this. But I guess it makes more sense. They're being more reflective. And wasn't it just so sad when it like started, the table started shaking, but they're like, I grind my own coffee beans. My coffee's great. Like I wouldn't have been able to do that. I would have been crying, hugging, like I, and then it just, it ends. But I mean, I'm not going to lie. I like this movie. Manis, I'm, I'm not with you still. I, I'm not going to say that I like the genre. But hold on, before 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 we go there, I do want to say one last thing that I thought was really powerful about this film, and that was the fact that the because we talked about it a little bit, but like the fact that there actually was this uh, rocket that took away all of the you know tech bros and presidents and lobbyists and all of that, and I thought that was because. I think if I saw that a few years ago, I'd be like, oh my God, come on, that's really like too on the nose. But I feel like because of all of these movements that we've had and all of these, you know, the mantra of we're all in this together that's been said over and over and over again about the about climate crisis, but especially about the pandemic, I think that kind of put a mirror to that sentiment in a way that I haven't seen before in kind of like, you know, popular culture of, no, we're not in this together. Like, <laughs> the, the, these people that put the world at risk. She didn't even get her son in this together. She left her son in that room going to the bathroom. I honestly didn't see it coming that they were going to leave. He was so annoying. Yeah, I mean, like, that. that is 100%, like, it shows that, like, like, 
the lack of humanity that these people have in a way that I think is probably quite close to the truth. But also the fact that they've made these like, you know, catastrophic decisions about the end of the world without being at risk themselves. And I think that that's really poignant about kind of the same people that we see today who are developing their own escape routes from the climate crisis that they're creating and leaving the people who had nothing to do with it to die while they're finding routes to escape. And I think that's why it's so kind of important that like what we talked about this entire episode about how we kind of need to fight on and kind of organize and not sit at that table at the end of the of our film I guess so did you like it Yara I did I really liked it actually like I had very little kind of expectations about it but I actually I I thought it was very entertaining regardless of the politics no politics of it but and I don't think it was a perfect film and I don't think it was perfect politically but I thought it had a lot of again poignant points and uh, even though we didn't show a way forward and it wasn't a you know a political socialist manifesto I think it in the things that it lacked and in the things that it showed it does connect to the consciousness right now in a very good way and I think it might not you know get people out in the streets but I think it might get people to ask questions of how do we avoid it and I think that's a positive thing altogether but I'm also curious to know uh, what Manus and Tuval thought like did you like the film at the end of the day like what what do you think about it uh, well I just um, recommended for you on Netflix and I threw it on I didn't know what it was about and you know two hours later I was like you know yeah that was that was really good um, I wasn't expecting that at all and then I looked up who the director was and I was like oh okay Adam McKay who's gone through this development arc from like kind of silly comedies to like increasingly political work so it kind of made sense um yeah I thought yeah it's like my my list of films that I agree with politically is like probably like two films uh but my list of films that are really interesting and that I like to talk about is much longer and this is definitely on that second list and there's so much you can talk about in it and it's been really really enjoyable just uh chatting about it with, with, with you guys and I hope we've brought out some of the politics for our listeners. What do you think about it, Tuva? I thought it was entertaining. As I said, I thought it was effective. Um, I liked the big shorts, uh, maybe not so much the other films of Adam McKay. Um, but I think that it's also interesting that the critics didn't like the film so much, but a lot of people did. And I think that it's really important to discuss politically f- films like that. Um, because, yeah, I mean, it shows what people it, it, in, you know, films are on just about like the political analysis. I, I think we tip, tore it to shreds like now, but um, it's also about feeling and connection. And I think that it's definitely worth kind of trying to understand why people felt so, um, so much about the film. So yeah, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm glad that I watched it. Well, I'm glad you watched it, too, because if you hadn't watched it, I wouldn't have known, I wouldn't have put together that when he said the name of the monster that we don't know what it is yet, I would have never put that together, Tavall. Um, But I, I actually really liked it, too. 
Um, and I agree with Manis that like, yeah, not all movies are like, um, you know, the the steps as to like how we can get to where we need to be. Um, but it was entertaining. And also, I think it really did a good job of showing how capitalism deals with crises. And like, you know, whether or not it was uh, supposed to be, you know, simply satire and humor or, you know, uh, um, it was unrealistic in certain ways. Um, it really did show how far capitalism will go to, you know, stay intact. Um, and so I think, you know, for that reason alone, it's a great conversation piece. Um, and it's a great way for for people who are starting to question capitalism or even who have been questioning capitalism for a long time but aren't able to truly articulate what it is um, or what the solution should be. At least this is a starting point for them to say, um, you know, it really is capitalism that is keeping us from dealing with natural disasters, uh, you know, like we see today. It really is um, pitting uh, workers against the needs of humanity um, in order to to make a quick buck. So I, I appreciated it for that. Um, but I also appreciate you two for coming on the show today. Um, starting off 2022, um, you know, still in a pandemic, um, but at least we have uh, you know good Netflix that we can that we can talk about. So I want to thank you both for coming on the show, and um, you know we hope to have you on again real soon. That was such a great discussion, but now we're going to get to our shout out of the week. It's the first one of the year, um, so we want to make this a special one. We want to shout out all the tireless socialist fighters in the international socialist alternative around the world. It would be impossible to mention even a tiny part of the oftentimes invisible work um, that all members of the International Socialist Alternative carry out um, day to day, but it's all extremely valuable. Um, everything that everyone did in 2021 um, will help to leave our movement better prepared for the challenges of 2022. And we ended the year by like we talked about on our last episode, again, beating the billionaires in Seattle. We heard from Shama. So if you haven't seen that episode, you should check it out. Um, and just a few weeks before that, we mobilized um, hundreds of activists um, to the COP26, which we talked about in this episode, um, which was really cool. Yara was there. Um, and so for those of you that are watching that are not a member of the international. Of the international. What do you, what are you thinking? Join us now. Yes. Join us. There's a link in the description. Um, and finally, we want an additional um, shout out to the working class of Kazakhstan. We talked about it a little bit um, starting the year, as we would all love to by rising up against the rotten regime um, that's in Kazakhstan. So here's to a victory for them and to a year of revolution worldwide. Um, yeah. Me and Yara just want to say good luck to everyone out there and stay safe. This is World to Win. Every Sunday, we broadcast with speakers from across the globe, bringing you the latest news and analysis on the fast-moving global events from a socialist perspective. Subscribe to the International Socialist Alternatives YouTube page and click the bell to get notified when we go live for a new episode. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram because there's a lot to do and we have a world to win. When they fight! When they fight! When they fight! Solidarity!